So, I wanted to finish up our um, teaching on the half gospel that we've been talking about. And essentially, I wanted to talk about repentance because I was listening to Christian radio the other day. And um, I was listening to probably the biggest evangelist, in at least in America right now. He goes to cities all the time. Yeah. He goes to cities all the time and does these evangelistic crusades, and he's huge. I mean, if I said his name, you would know who it is and things. But he was saying, you know, and if, if you want to be a believer, all you got to do is say this prayer right now. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins, and I want to follow you, and I want to be with you in heaven. And thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And he's like, that's all you got to do. It's as simple as that. And I think that, you know, we've, 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 I think... Part of what our ministry is, and I, you know, I don't know what it will be or what it's supposed to be, or maybe this is what it's supposed to be or whatever, but part of what our ministry is, is seeing, and I, in a loving way, seeing the problems in the church and, and combat, not combating those things, but trying to change things, because basically, we get stuck in ruts and we're like, well, this is the way that we've always done it and this is the way it'll be and stuff. Jesus said that there are a few that would follow the way of the cross. There are a few that would walk that straight and narrow path. And you go to these huge churches and, and believe me, we've been to these huge churches and stuff and we've gone several times and stuff and, and like sometimes months and stuff and, and never once hear a single word about repentance. Never once hear a single word about you have to change your life. And it's all about Jesus wanting to bless you and Jesus wanting to come down and stuff. And I saw this really cool quote by A.W. Tozer. He says, We must of our own free will repent toward God and believe in Jesus Christ. This, the Bible plainly teaches, this experience abundantly supports. Repentance involves moral reformation. The wrong practices are on man's part and only man can correct them. Uh, now, he's not saying that... You can do that without God's help because obviously we can't, you know. But he's but he's saying that the part of repentance is our part. Now it's the part of the Holy Spirit to convict us and to give us the power to overcome. But he says uh, the wrong practices are on man's part and only man can correct them. Lying, for instance, is an act of man and one for which he must accept full responsibility. When he repents, he will quit lying. God will not quit for him. He must quit for himself. So I thought that was just a really cool quote about repentance. And that's the thing, is that when we come to the Lord, and that's part, and I, again, we're not talking about formulas. We're not talking about how things are to be done or in what order. And, and obviously, everything that we do must be done out of kindness. Everything that we, we do is not, we're not bashing people on the head with their sins or or with the Bible or whatever, everything that we do is out of love for a person, love for someone who's lost, love for a person that needs Jesus. And, this, and, the, and the Bible is clear that the thing that separates us from God is our sins. And so I was looking at some statistics, and uh, I couldn't find a common ground, but uh, one, one website that I was looking at said like 80% of new converts will eventually fall away. And another one said, that, like, you know, other ones were saying less, some were saying even more and stuff. And, you know, and it's like, you know, it's like all the time you hear people, 
like especially at Freedom House, I mean, all the time we're, you talk to people and like, well, you know, I got saved as a kid and, you know, and I was a Christian and, and stuff. And then I got into drugs and I got into porn and I was robbing people and I was, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I even hurt people and, and things like that. And yet, you know, God was with me the whole time. And I was, you know, it's like, this is not salvation. Salvation says if you are saved, you will bear fruit. And your fruit will look like you, you know, if you are an apple tree, you're not going to, you're not going to be bearing uh, pumpkins or squashes because that's not what an apple tree is. If you're a believer, you're going to bear fruits of righteousness. And so, and, and we hear all these stories about, yeah, I was a believer and, you know, I was robbing people at knife point and, you know, I raped people and, and I hurt people and things like that. You're telling me you did this as a believer. And so, again, I think part of the reason why is because fundamentally, from the very ground up, from the foundation of, of, of taking a believer, a non-believer, into Christianity and into the things of God, they're not being taught, look, you have to repent of your sins. You have to turn from your sins. You can't continue to walk this way. Uh, another quote I was looking at was from D. James Kennedy. I don't know if you've heard of him. But, I mean, I've, I've always loved his teaching and stuff. He, uh, he said, the vast majority of members in churches today are not Christians. He says, I say that without the slightest fear of contradiction. I base it on 24 years of examining thousands of people. And, and so the thing is, is in, you know, we know in Matthew 7 that Jesus said, many are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. We did all these miracles in your name. We cast out demons. We did all these great things for you. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you and stuff. And so, again, I think that... the Lord, but he doesn't know us. Huh? He would say we know the Lord, but he doesn't know us. Yeah. And I think the thing is, is again, is, is part of it is the gospel that we teach. And we're teaching a gospel that has no teeth to it. It has no repentance. It has no, you have to turn from what you're doing. Even the uh, the woman that they were going to stone and, and Jesus wrote down in the dust, he said, he who's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And so we know the story. Everyone goes away because everyone is, has sin, right? But... Then what did Jesus say to the woman? Go and sin no more. So Jesus didn't say, okay, you're fine with it. You know, I'm cool. We're cool. Everybody's cool and stuff. And he said, go and sin no more and stuff. And so I think, again, that that's what's happening is because we've, the church as a whole has become so user-friendly and especially as we see the numbers in the church dwindling. And so what we do is we try to put on this happy face for people so when they come, they're going to be happy and they're going to, they're going to you know, we, we try to get them excited and we play rock music for them and, and we try to just, you know, um, do all these external things to get people in the doors thinking that once we get them in the doors that they're going to be okay. But the problem is that it's like... It's like when we were teaching not too long ago and, and someone said, well, I believe in, in um, friendship evangelism and stuff. I think on the face of it that friendship evangelism is a great thing. And I think especially with what you're doing with Jared, it's an awesome thing. And that's the way it should be. That's the way it should work. But I know out of personal experience that I have befriended non-believers and was too afraid to really share Jesus with them. 
right? Even with my dad. I mean, my dad is a, a complete unbeliever, and he's, he's really hard in his heart to the gospel. And I've shared some small things with him, but I've never really shared a lot with him because I know he won't receive it. And I know it will anger him. And my dad's like six foot four. He's huge and he's intimidating and things. But but then, you know, lately I've just been thinking about hell. And um, it's like my dad's not going to live very much longer. He's going to die. And he's going to spend eternity somewhere. And, um, you know, and it's like if he were to die today, he would go to hell. And, I mean, it's... It's hard for me to think about that and stuff, but but when we think about things in the light of eternity and we think about how the church is addressing those things, we are not addressing things properly. And what we're trying to do, it's like if you're the if you it's like when you're kids and you're the non popular kid and you try to be act all cool to to get people to like you. That's what we as the church are doing. And we're saying you don't have to worry about these things about repentance. You don't have to worry about these things about holiness, about getting right with God. Jesus just loves you. Jesus wants to bless you. He wants to make you happy. He wants to give you all these good things. And so as a result, this is what we're receiving. Jesus said, Don't go and make converts. He said, Go and make disciples. But we're not discipling every anyone. And it's again, it's it's the it's the case of that friendship evangelism where we're not actually we're 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 not actually affecting their lives and stuff. And Jesus called us as a church to be salt and light. And the problem is we're not being salt and light. Um, turn to Matthew chapter three. Just to look at some scriptures on repentance. Because, again, and I was looking at the, the internet today, and there was this, this one pastor talking about, he's like, I never preach repentance at my church and stuff. And he's, he said, well, because John, John never preached repentance in, in the book of John or in, you know, the, the three books of John. Well, he may have not preached repentance through that word repentance, but John talked about all kinds of things about if you love Jesus, you will obey his commandments. Mm -hmm. And so... He, he taught repentance. He may not have used the word repentance, but he taught it as the concept and things. And so, in Matthew 3, John the Baptist preaching in verse 7, he says, uh, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to, for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Verse 8, he says, therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And verse 9 is awesome too. He says, do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. And that was the mindset of the Jews. They thought, because I was born in Israel, because my descendants came from Abraham, I'm, I'm good with God. I'm in. And stuff, and Jesus is saying, "Look, this is a heart issue." Or John the Baptist is saying, "This is a heart issue. This has nothing to do with what family you're born in. It doesn't matter if your parents are believers. It doesn't matter if your parents are pastors. If your parents are deacons of the church, where do you stand? Are you following the Lord?" Um, turn to Mark, chapter one. So we see it in John the Baptist. We also see it in Jesus. Jesus' first message was one of repentance.
Mark 1, verse 14. It says, Now after John the Baptist had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So in, turn to one more place in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we know that in Acts chapter 2, what happened was that the Spirit was poured out, right? So immediately after the baptism of the Spirit, Peter, with the other apostles, goes out and starts preaching to the people. And in verse... Um, Thirty-six. He's preaching to the people. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has... Actually, you know what? I want to start in verse 22. Because he's preaching to fellow Israelites. He says, Men of Israel, in verse 22, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know... This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Listen to what he says. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. It says, but, uh, And then skip down to verse 36. He says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So again, Peter's telling them, this, You crucified this man. He's not, he's, not, he's not watering down the gospel. He's not saying, you guys are all basically good people and stuff, and, and, you know, and God loves every one of you. All you got to do is pray this prayer, and you're going to be good. He's pointing out to them. He says, you guys crucified this man. In verse 37, it says, now when they heard this, and this is what happens. The thing is, is I believe what the problem is, is because we're not telling people the truth. Because of that, they, they think that they're okay. And stuff, and it's only when it's only when a person comes face to face with the truth. That's like an alcoholic or a drug addict. Well, they say the first step to recovery is acknowledging the truth, that you have a problem, that you have an issue, and it's the same way. First thing that I, when I'm lost, when I when when the Holy Spirit begins to illuminate and open up my mind, I come to the realization and to the confrontation that I am a sinner, that by my sins, Christ was crucified. And because of my sins, because of the things that I did, he had to pay a penalty for my sins. And so it's that truth that delivers you. In verse 38, it says, verse 37, he says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Christ, Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Can so, I, yes? Can I read a couple of scriptures? Since you're in Acts already. Um, Acts uh, 14, verse 15 Men, why are we doing these things? We also, men of the same nature as you, and we preach the gospel to you in order that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. So he was talking about them turning from their sins. Um, he says in Acts 26, verse 20, But he kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and all throughout all the region of Judea, 
and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. And, and, the, and that's the thing. It's like, if you were to go out on the streets and ask people, if you, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Most people would say, well, you know what? I'm basically a good person. And most people, especially in America, would say, yes, I'm going to heaven. And if you asked them why, they'd say, well, you know, I've done a few wrong things, but basically I'm a good person. Well, according to the Bible, they're not good people. According to the Bible, they have turned their backs on God. They, they are at enmity. They are at war with God. And so it's not just this. And that's the thing. Uh, again, the gospel brings you to the place to where you see the utter depravity of your heart. You see the total lostness and the inability to save yourself. No, you come to the realization that nobody can save me if Jesus does not save me. And that is the, that is the place of repentance, coming to that place of brokenness, that place of, because that is the place of humility. That is the place of coming down and saying, Man, I have blown it. I am lost. I am a sinner. I need someone besides myself to come and deliver me. And in John chapter 8, because we always hear that, that verse, you, you know, the truth will set you free. But we just, we just hear that little snippet of it, but that's not all there is to it. And in uh, John 8 verse 31, um, it says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had, who had believed in him, he says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. In other words, if you've come to that place of repentance where you're willing to follow him, no matter you've counted the cost, you've, you've put everything behind you, you're willing to follow him, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But again, these people are thinking just because they're brought up religious, just because they're from a religious family, a religious um, um, uh, situation, to just because they're Jews, once a Jew, always a Jew, we're children of Abraham because we were born into this family, into this geographic location. So because of that, we're good. He says, um, verse 33, and they answered him and said, we're Abraham's descendants and never, and never yet been enslaved to anyone, which is kind of ludicrous anyway, because at the time they were enslaved to the Romans. It says, and we have never yet been enslaved to anyone. And they had, as a history, been enslaved several times to many different nations and stuff. He says, how is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And what does sin bring? The wages of sin is death, right? So before we come to Jesus, we are dead in our trespasses, in our sins. And that's the thing. The gospel doesn't come to kind of shine us up on the outside, to kind of give us a haircut, to kind of polish our boots, kind of put on a nice suit and tie. The gospel comes to make dead people live. It doesn't come to make me a nicer person, although it will do that. It doesn't come to make me not cheat on my taxes, although it will do that. It comes to make a dead person live. Someone that's dead to the things of God, someone that hates the things of God, someone that casts the things of God behind his back, it comes to make that person alive to the things of God. Where did we die? We died in Adam. 
However, each one of us is responsible for our own actions. It's not Adam's fault. I mean, he did usher it all into the world, and so he is responsible, but we have our own responsibility in that I, I, it's, I work together with him. Does that make sense? It's like when sin came to me, I didn't say, no, I can't do that. It's like, oh, okay, well, okay. So I cooperated in that. So I am culpable. I am responsible for my um, agreeing to that. And Jesus, uh, so verse 34 again, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen from with my father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one God, or one father, God. Which this is obviously a slam at Jesus because he didn't have a natural father, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, they're, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he, he speaks a lie from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of liars. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, Did we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And so again, it's... You know, the state of mankind is uh, at enmity with God. Um, turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. It's before Timothy okay. and Titus. All your okay. T's run together. Mm -hmm. So, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. When the Holy Spirit comes to us, He begins to, 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 and again, the Holy Spirit doesn't force anything on us. He begins to whisper in that in our ear, and He begins to give us that invitation: Do you want to follow? Do you want to follow, or do you want to keep living how you're living? Do you if? And, and he begins to woo us. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. But what does it say? It says the Holy Spirit comes to convict of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. 
And so when the Holy Spirit, and that's the thing, again, if all these, if, if so many people are being saved, being born again, and yet there's no desire to turn from their sins, there's no desire to live holy lives, were they born again by the Spirit of God? Because how can you be born again by the Spirit of God, who is called the Holy Spirit, if there's not at least a desire? And again, we know that it's a walk. We know that it's going to take some time. And, you know, immature believers are going to fall and they're going to, they're going to stumble and they're sometimes badly. But there, there must be at least some kind of desire for holiness. There's got to be some kind of hunger, some kind of thirst for righteousness. And if there's not at least some of that there, we have to question whether this is a true salvation or whether it's spurious. And, um, and then 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10. Now he's talking about... Uh, in the last days, he's talking about Antichrist. When Antichrist comes with a mystery, lawlessness, lawlessness, with all power and signs and false wonders. And in verse 10, 10, he says, And with all deception of wickedness, look at this, For those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, so as to be saved. You see that? So again, the reason why... Again, the Holy Spirit begins to whisper in people's ears, and I think that that's what happens in re, when we pray for people. That what it does is it unleashes the Holy Spirit to begin to woo them and begin to speak to them, just as a, like a lover woos a, you know, a, a woman or a man or whatever and stuff. The Holy Spirit begins to woo us and stuff like that, and then that's when we start making the decisions. Well, do I want my sin or do I want to start pursuing? the god back you know do i want to hold on to my marijuana do i want to hold on to my my sex do i want to hold on to my drugs do i want to keep these things or do i want to start laying them down it says in verse 11 for this reason god will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness and so again there and that's the thing with with god Everything is, again, covenant. Everything, our, our relationship with God is like a, like a covenant, like a marriage covenant, right? When, when people get married, they take vows. Will you promise to love, honor, and obey and do this for your wife? And yes, I do. And so it's the same with the Lord. He comes to us and the Holy Spirit says, will you lay down this? Will you lay down your drugs? Will you lay down your selfishness? Will you lay down your pride? Will you lay down your anger? Will you lay down all these things? And then if we're willing, we say, I do. And then that's when he does his part. Well, then I do also, right? But again, it's, it's a two-way thing. And the thing is, is, oh, turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. The thing is, is back in the days of the revivals with Charles Finney and things like that, and again, what we do is, is and I'm, I'm not against it because it does work, and, and I'm not, again, again, saying that there's formulas, or I'm, I'm not against formulas either, but like, just this whole sinner's prayer thing. Back in the days of, of Charles Finney and some of the revivalists and stuff, they would come into town for like two weeks or a month or whatever, and they would preach the law at people. And they would preach, you need to repent and stuff. And and when, when people would, would want to, to people would, would say people would fall on the ground 
under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And they would be writhing, sometimes for days, sometimes for weeks, they would be under the massive conviction of the Holy Spirit. And they would never lift that off of them. You know what I'm saying? They would never try to take that off of them and say, don't worry about it, God, God is forgiving you. Basically, they said, you need to have deep dealings with God. Right? Um, First Corinthians 15, verse 24 says, But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever enters, he is convicted. Prophecy convicts. He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. For what? For his sins. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God. So that what you just talked about with revival and how it would happen. You know, my definition of prophecy is speaking the words of God. You know, it's not necessarily this foretelling of future events and things like that, although it can be. But, you know, prophesying is speaking what God is saying. And saying what the Lord is saying. This is the word of the Lord. This and is it the often prophecy. Brings conviction. Yeah. One very thing is <coughs> about prophecy is that I notice that I can sometimes, like I wouldn't consider myself a prophet, but I can rightly tell you what will happen in your life because I know God and I know His heart and I've seen yeah. Him work and I've watched Him work and I know His word and He put it all together. <coughs> I can accurately tell you. Mm-hmm. what's about to happen in yeah. your life mm-hmm. I can't tell you how it's going to come about necessarily because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I didn't say like an actual vision or something mm-hmm. but right. I can like, pretty much rightly let you know what's coming down right yeah. and it's because like, you know the Lord and you know the word and your prophecy very well may be more accurate than someone who's yeah. blowing in the dark and seeing angel feathers you know you didn't see, they may have saw a vision but you're actually in your right you know, mind can just say, hey, this is what the word says and this is what I've seen and and yeah. that's still prophecy, you know? Yeah. And and the thing is is like if you've offended a friend or like one of your kids or someone that's really close to you, what do you do? Do you just go, Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, we've all experienced that, right? I I mean it's insulting if someone if, if someone has that attitude towards you, right? And so, and so we think that we're just going to come to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me, you know, and I'll, I'll be better and all this and stuff. Man, again, like whenever they would have revival meetings, they would let people stay under the conviction of the Lord until those people themselves made the connection with, the God, with God and knew that God forgave, forgave them. them. They had to make that connection for themselves. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is, is we have been sinners for how many years now? We got a lot of deep dealing to do with God. We have a lot of things that we have to confess. We have a lot of things that we need to get right. Lord, I've, I've done all these things against you. I've, I've, you know, I've coveted, I've cheated, I've done all these things. So a true repentance means deep searchings of heart. It means going down into the basement where all the dark creatures live and the, the scary things are and bringing them to the light and saying, Lord, I have this thing in my heart, this, this thing that's keeping me from you. And we know that, that, that that's also a lifetime thing because I, you know, I still have things that I'm dealing with from my past and things. And it's like, there's been things lately that the Lord's just bringing up and it's like, those are things that I never fully dealt with, you know? And it's like, we know that 
in natural relationships, if there's something there, there's going to be a wall. There's going to be a hindrance. There's going to be something that blocks that flow of communication and love and stuff. And so it's only when there's a true repentance, a true brokenness, and a true, look, I'm sorry for what I did. I was a jerk. I, I shouldn't have done that. Um, I'm, I'm working on it. I want to be different. Help me and stuff. And that's true repentance. It's not just this I'm sorry thing. And so I think that, again, what happens is we're teaching people to be cheap with God. And, you know, and you don't have to have these deep dealings with God. You don't have to go through this, you know, this spring cleaning or this total um, transformation or this total, you know, casting, burning the books and, you know, the, the magic spell books and the albums and all that stuff, you know. I can't um, believe you said that because I wanted to read this too. Sorry I keep hijacking your message. But yeah, yeah. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver, hmm. which is a lot. And so again, the cost. There was a cost involved in... They were so repentant and so sorry that they didn't even care about how much it cost. That's good. And so, and that's the thing. Repentance, just like faith, works. It does things. Not... Um, not that we think that if I cry, God's going to hear me, or if I, you know, act in a certain way, it's going to move God or whatever, you know, because again, it comes back to the tears of a child who's gotten busted, and so they're crying because they don't want to get in trouble, as opposed to like, I am truly sorry for what I've done. And in Colossians, it talks about that before we were saved, we were at enmity with God. We were, we were, we were at war with God. And so Romans 5, verse 1 he says, therefore, having been, this is the state of someone who has been born again, someone who has been justified. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, over and over, the apostles would say, grace and peace be to you and stuff. And, and, and so, and with the 60s, we kind of have this thing in our minds that peace is like this, hey, peace, man, you know, and stuff. And it's, but the thing is, it's peace with God. The true, uh, the true meaning of peace with God means I was at war with him. I was his enemy. I was in active combat against him. I was an enemy against him. Now we have peace. There is a cessation of conflict. There is a cessation of war. It's like if you've ever lived in a time when there's been war and, and like when the, you hear on the news, the war is over with, right? And that's the thing. When we come to God, that war is over with. And the problem is, is that there are people that are preaching a false peace. And this is, turn to Ezekiel chapter 13. The thing is, is one of the common things, if you, if you read the Old Testament and it talks over and over throughout the entire Old Testament about false prophets. And it talks about false prophets in the New Testament also. But over and over and over in the Old Testament talks about false prophets. Those false prophets had one thing in common almost exclusively. And that is that they gave the people a false peace. They told people that were not right with God, it's okay, God loves you. 
He understands. He, he's with you. He's, he, he, he loves you and stuff. And again, we know God does love us. God loves everyone and stuff. But, but he can't abide with sin. He, and he won't abide with sin. And, and uh, specifically, again, my point being is that there are a lot of people that come to our altars. There are a lot of people. And I think that we have to be very careful about telling people, oh, God forgives you. And God's, you know, you know God is giving you grace for that. Um, cause I know that in my life personally, I have probably told people that to comfort them who may not have truly repented, who may not truly be right with God. And the thing that's, and it scares me because that was exclusively what the false prophets did is they told people, don't worry about it. You're okay. God understands you're good with him. He's not mad at you. And I, I swear that angers me. It drives me up the wall. I see it so often. I see it blasted on Facebook. I see it just thrown out to thousands of people. God is not mad with you. God is not angry with you. Well, you know what? God is angry with some people. Mm -hmm. And if you sit there and you blanket blast, God is not mad at you. You are definitely going to be telling some people that God is mad at that God is not mad at you. And it scares me. And it's like, you do not understand what you're doing. Because again, that's what the false prophets did. In Ezekiel 13, verse 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy from their own inspiration, Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who are following their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, your prophets have been like foxes among the ruins. You have not gone up into the breaches, nor did you build the wall around the house of Israel to stand in the battle on the day of the Lord. Now, in the time of Ezekiel, this was in the time when they were in Babylon. They had gone into captivity because of their sins. Why did they go into captivity? Because again, the people were sinning against God and all the prophets were coming to them and saying, don't worry about it. God's okay. You're, you're not in trouble. God, you don't worry about it. And so because of that, God sent them into captivity. So now under Ezekiel, in Ezekiel's time, they're in captivity because of that thing. And there's still false prophets telling the people, don't worry about it. You're okay. God's not mad at you. And then so in verse three, thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who are following their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, your prophets have been like foxes among the ruins. You have not gone into the breaches, nor did you build the wall around the house of Israel to stand in the battle on the day of the Lord. Why is the wall fallen? The Bible says over and over. Hello. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I have my medicine? Yeah. Uh -huh. Just, yeah. The Bible says over and over, God warned them, if you do not obey my commandments, I will allow the enemies to come and defeat you. If you obey my commandments, no enemies will be able to stand against you. So their walls were falling down. They were in captivity because of their sins. He says in verse 6, They see falsehood and lying divination who are saying, The Lord declares when the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope for the fulfillment of their word. Did you not see, did you not see a false vision and speak a lying divination when you said the Lord declares, but it is not I who have spoken? 
Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken falsehood and seen a lie, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord. So my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will have no place in the council of my people, nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel, that you may know that I am the Lord God. It is definitely because they have misled my people by saying peace when there is no peace. And when anyone builds a wall, behold, they plaster it over with whitewash. So tell those who plaster it over with whitewash that it will fall. A flooding rain will come, and you, O hailstones, will fall, and a violent, violent wind will break out. Behold, when the wall has fallen, will you not be asked, Where is the plaster which with you plastered it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a violent wind break out in my anger. There will also be in my anger a flooding rain and hailstones to consume it in wrath. So I will tear down the wall which you plastered over with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation is laid bare and when it falls you will be consumed in its midst and you will know that I am the Lord. <coughs> so again, the reason why God was mad at these people was because they were speaking peace. God is not angry with you. God is not mad with you. And so... I also, I, I'm always like, when, whenever someone's repenting and, and when someone's confessing sins and stuff, I, I try to look and see whether that person seems like they're really sincere before you apply First John, you know, whatever it is, you know, the Lord hears and all that. Because the Lord does. And the Lord is gracious and the Lord is willing to forgive. And if we confess and forsake our sins, He is righteous and just to forgive us of our sins. But again, is it... He knows our hearts. He knows if we're serious about that. He knows if we're just kind of playing around or like Saul. Um, Saul. Saul said, the people made me do it. Adam, the woman that you gave me made it do it. Shifting the blame to other people and stuff and not taking responsibility and not saying, I'm the man, I'm the sinner, you know, and stuff. Actually, and so, we won't name names or anything, but we actually counseled someone who the, um, that was a very good example of someone who could not take self-responsibility for sin and was just blame, 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 blaming another person, and that was really sad. Yeah. Turn to Jude, the book of Jude. Couldn't even stop for a few seconds and just look at their own heart. When the, th the thing is, and it, it is God that grants repentance, but he grants it in response to our hearts. Everything that God does to us is based on our hearts, how our hearts are. If our hearts are humble, if our hearts are um, truly honest and, and all that, and that's what God answers. Can and I then, just read the super, super fast? This is when you're talking about false prophets. Mm -hmm. This is Jeremiah. He's telling them not to listen to the words of the false prophets. Do not listen to their words. For what they are prophesying to you, they are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They mm. keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say, calamity surely will not come upon you. Hmm. Uh, you know, I read stuff like that and I think about so many churches how they're just saying you know God loves you and God's happy with you and stuff and you know and, and a lot of 
we know so many churches where you know deacons and elders and stuff are cheating on their wives and yet they're still allowed to be in in leadership and sometimes the pastors and and things and if it's that way with the leadership you know it's going to be that way with the people you know and again all these churches that that preach this grace 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 and we believe in grace you know and the thing is is we feel like our ministry is like because we have to go to the other extreme because it's like the boat is tilting this way and everybody's on this side of the boat and so like we're running over to the other side and trying to you know (laughs) balance it out and stuff and and, you know and but you know we believe in the grace and the mercy and the love and the just overwhelming love of God but at the same time you can't disregard these other elements to him, you know, God is not, you know, just this one faceted thing. Yeah, you know, and stuff. And so if we're going to truly have this relationship with God, it's got to be, it's like when you're first dating someone, you want to know who that person really is. You you know, like um, a young man, he wants, you know, he, he doesn't know if he's ever loved anyone. Well, the reason why for most of us that's the case is because most of us jump we fall madly in bed with the person rather than finding out who they are and saying, you know, who is this person? We want to find out what their bodies are like and stuff. And when that's the case, we'll never know who that person is because we're, <laughs> we're in it for the wrong reasons and stuff. And in Jude, verse 3, he says, Beloved, so this is not in the Old Testament only, this is also in the New Testament says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Verse 4, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our Lord God into licentiousness, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Verse 5, he says, Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And so again, this is, this is something that's been, that, that has plagued the church in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's something that, that people cling to this false grace. People cling to this. I don't, you know, I can just have Jesus and I don't have to let go of anything, but I can, you know, and stuff. And, and we're propagating it. And so my belief is that at some point we have to tell people, this. you've got to deal with these things. You've got to be real with the Lord. You've got to, you've got to, all these years that you spent mocking Him, all these years that you, you have known the right way and you didn't do it all these years that you you treated people like dirt and stuff there has to be a reckoning for those things you have to come to the realization that god died for each one of these sins and he shed his blood for me to forgive me and to wash me if i'm willing to lay it down in second corinthians 7 I think we've talked about this verse before, but it just shows a true picture of what repentance is. Repentance, again, we know, is not just saying I'm sorry, not just saying, you know, 
It's like you, when when you get onto your kids about there's something and they're like, oh, sorry, you know. It's like, really, <laughs> that convinced me. And in Second Corinthians seven, we know in First Corinthians that you know Paul had to write to the church that you know somebody was sleeping with their mother-in-law or their father's wife or whatever and stuff, and he says you need to deal with this situation. You need to kick that person out of the church until they repent. And then in Second um, Corinthians seven verse eight, he says, "For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it." In other words, Paul saying. I don't regret doing what I did, but he's saying, but it wasn't easy for me. He's saying, it hurt me to do that. You know, it's like the thing, you know, where your parents used to say, you know, whenever they'd spank you, it's like, this is going to hurt me worse than it hurts you. And so I never believed that with my parents, and I don't think it did. But for someone that truly loves, you know, is like a good parents and stuff, it truly does. You know, when you have to discipline your child, it's like ripping a scab off or something you know it's hard and it's painful you don't want to do it but you do it because it's for their benefit you do it because you love them you do it because you want to see them in right standing so he says i i did not he says for though i caused you sorrow i do not regret it though i did regret it for i see that 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 letter caused you sorrow though only for a while Verse 9, he says, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. And I think that's awesome. He says, you were made sorrowful to the point, uh, according to the will of God. And there are so many, I, I cannot tell you how many times, like, you know, when you're trying to get right with God and you're confessing things and they're like, don't worry about it, just, you know, he confesses and stuff. And it's like, let the person deal with their stuff. Let them repent. Let them make it right with God. And you don't need to do that with them. And again, why, you know, I, I think a lot of reason why a lot of believers are so filled and racked with guilt and things that they can't overcome is because they've never dealt with those things. They've never, it's like in counseling, the same thing in counseling. They take you back to things. What happened to make you like this? What was it that caused you to start down this road? And, and it's like these things are the healing of the soul and of the spirit. And especially when the Holy Spirit is, is doing it with you and he's walking you through it. And he's, he's causing you sorrow, but he wants you to be sorrow, sorrowful to the point to where you're like, I, I need to change and stuff. And so many times people get under the conviction of the Lord and we tell them, you're under condemnation. And again, we have to be careful. Sometimes people are under condemnation. Sometimes people have this guilty complex. And, and, and there is a, it's tough. It's tough when you teach people because sometimes in the same room, you'll have people that have condemnation problems, but then you'll also have people that have conviction problems, you know, and stuff. And, and it's so difficult, that, that line that you have to walk. And, and so, but I think that a lot of times some people are walking around with this constant guilt because they've never been cleansed of it. They've never come to the fountain. They've never come to the Holy Spirit and been truly cleansed from those things. And they haven't allowed the Lord because some well-meaning believer has told them, man, that's just condemnation. You need to get over it. You know? 
and stuff. And and again, sometimes in, in back in the revival days, and they said of Finney's converts that like at least probably 80% of his converts stayed true to the Lord all their lives. I mean, that is amazing. And, you know, and the thing is, is again, when, when people would get under condemnation, he would leave them there for days until they broke through to the Lord, until the Lord broke through to them, you know? And, and we're sitting there rescuing people that don't need to be rescued. They need to make, they need to come to terms with the Lord. They need to come to grips with what they've done. They need to come to the, to face to face with a God who hates sin, with a God who sacrificed his son for them. And I mean, what, you know, it's like, it's like someone killed rapes and kills your daughter and they come to you for forgiveness i mean imagine that moment that moment is like everything will stop you know and it's like you are face to face with this person and it's it's like you're not going to accept any bs you're not going to accept any shallowness you're not going to accept any games and you're going to know if they're playing games with you you're going to know if they're serious and as a believer, we, we, we are called to forgive them no matter what. But, but you know what I'm saying? There would be that moment. There would be that time, that space where it's like you and that person and stuff. And that's the way it is. When we come to the Lord, again, my fear is, is that so many of us are doing it shallow. Um, verse 10, he says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And again, I think that hopefully next time we'll, we'll talk about King Saul and, and how like he just wanted to look good in front of the people. He wanted, to, he wanted to look okay in front of everybody. He didn't want to look like a sinner. He didn't want to look like someone that has to humble themselves and bow their knee and stuff. And he's a, he's a picture of false repentance. He's a picture of, of false sorrow and not godly sorrow. He says, uh, verse, uh, he says, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very th thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. Look at what godly sorrow, what true repentance produces. He says, what vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So again, that's true repentance. True repentance is not saying, sorry. True repentance is like, how can I make this right? Again, if, if you offend someone that you love deeply, you will do whatever it takes to make that right if you value that relationship. And here's the crux of it. Relationships fall every day because someone didn't value it enough to make it right. Because people saw that there was a problem. They saw that there was an issue, but it, was, it did not mean enough to them to make that right, to do the hard thing, to... to to, to make it right. And so because of that, that relationship dies. And it happens all the time. Um, turn to one more place, Luke chapter 19. Another picture of repentance. Verse 
Luke 19 is the story of Zacchaeus. You used to always sing that song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I think that was one of the first songs that I learned on the guitar when yeah, I first started playing. It's like that two chords or three. Yeah, and then you start playing it <laughs> faster and faster DNA. and faster. <laughs> but uh, in verse 1, he says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Um, it's pretty common knowledge that the tax collectors were hated by their own people because they were they were Jews, but they were working for the Romans, taking taxes from their own people. And not only that, but they were skimming off the top of it and they were getting rich by it. And so they were charging the people extra taxes that they were lining their pockets with. And so they were hated by the people. It says, um, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Again, so here's the Holy Spirit wooing him. Now, we don't know what was in Zacchaeus' heart, what had gone on before this, and this is that's the thing that hopefully we'll see in heaven. You know, when we get to heaven, we'll be able to see the backstories and the, the stuff that Zacchaeus... I mean, you think about this, man. He was hated by his own people. Um, he's the type of person that people, your neighbors would, if they're walking down the sidewalk and they see you, they would walk to the other side of the street to avoid you and stuff, and they would probably say bad things to you and stuff. And so, um, who knows what it took for the Holy Spirit to bring him to this place. But in verse, uh, verse 6, he says, And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they, the religious people, saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. In verse 8, again, this is just a picture of repentance. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And so again, Zacchaeus isn't just saying, you know, okay, I'm sorry for what I did. Um, you know what, from this day on, I'm not going to cheat anyone, okay? From, from this day on, I'm just going to turn over this new leaf. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good person. I'm going to do my taxes, you know, and take the right amount. He says, he said, uh, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've defrauded anything, anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And you know that when people heard that, there's going to be people at his door saying, okay, you defrauded me, right? And so it's, it's not just a minor thing for him to do this. You know, this is, this, again, this is in contrast with the rich young ruler. What did Jesus tell the rich young ruler? Go and sell all you have, follow me, and give all your possessions to the poor and come follow me. And he wasn't willing to do this. And here, Zacchaeus, Jesus didn't even have to do that. And that's the thing about repentance, too. You know, it's like so many times we try to bring people to these places. It's just amazing. So many times we try to bring people to the realization, the knowledge, and to the place of true repentance, to the place where they see what they've done. And it's like they, they, they understand it. They have a mental understanding, but, but it's not really doing that you know it's not really working its way and it's it's like you know when when we when you we've we've led lots of people over the years to the lord to see many of them turn back 
many of them fall away. Many of them stop following, you know, at some point. And, so, and yet there's other people like, you know, that we know, like Glacian and Wendy and stuff like that, that, that we've, you know, just given them a few things and they just take off, you know, and stuff. And so I think that that is a true mark of repentance. The fact that Jesus didn't have to sell Zacchaeus to sell his stuff and give to the poor or to, or to give back to what, what he defrauded and stuff shows that the Holy Spirit was working in this man's heart and that he was allowing the Spirit to work in his heart. And this is true repentance. Repentance, truly, true repentance doesn't have to be urged. It doesn't have to be, come on, do this. It doesn't have to be, you know... All these things, true repentance is like the light comes on. It's like, oh, okay, I want to do that. So, I think that's the part where obviously we have to preach the truth, and the Bible, right. and the Bible tells, commands us to preach the truth. But then the Holy Spirit comes in and does His part. And without that, Holy, without the Holy Spirit doing His part, there is no true conviction of sin. Yeah, and the thing so, is, is, is sometimes you're just watering, or sometimes you're just planting, and. Right. At some other point, that that right. verse and you know bears life and stuff, right. and you know, and it, it's not, it's not anything that we can really judge. You know, we just do what we've been called to do, and we just share the gospel with people, and the rest is their responsibility. It's not, it's not even our responsibility, but, but it's just, it's just been so amazing to me that. <clears throat> some of the people that we've shared the gospel with, that we thought they were just going to take off, they didn't. Then others where we're just like, you know, we didn't really think anything of it. They just blasted, you know, and stuff. So you just you just never know. You, we don't know the state of a person's heart. We just sow the seed, you know. Um, and it's, you know, it's the Holy Spirit that, that does it. And it's, it's, you know, dependent on them too. Depending on, you know, are they going to humble themselves? Are they going to truly repent? Are they going to truly give, lay down those things and stuff? It says in verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. Look at this, and this is where we get this verse, but we, we never read it in context. He says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So, and I think, again, I think yeah, repentance doesn't, you know, and again, I don't think that it has to be an ugly thing. I don't think that it has to be um, throwing sticks at people or, or you know, carrying picket signs and stuff like that. But sometimes just a simple, you know what, the way you're living is not right. You know, and just telling people out of love how, you know, the way the way you treat your wife is not right. You know, the way that, you, the way that you're living is not right and stuff. And it's like... Um, then allowing, you know, hopefully the Holy Spirit will, will be in it and will convict them and will um, somehow, you know, life will spring up. But, but I think that there has to be, on some level, this, this repentance. There has to be um, a, a part of them that knows that they're sinners. Because, again, it, those who are forgiven much love much. And, not, and Jesus wasn't saying that even though she was a prostitute and unclean and stuff like that, so she did have a lot of sin, but her sins weren't any greater than our sins. We're all on equal footing. We're all dead in our trespasses and sins. It doesn't matter if we're a banker, a lawyer, a, an undertaker, a prostitute, a, a shooting drugs in our veins. We're all dead in our sins. Nobody's sins are worse than anyone else's. Uh, these people that 
picket homosexuals and stuff like that and saying fags are going to hell. Well, no. You know, maybe because of your attitude, maybe you're going to hell. You know? And so it's like, again, we're not like John and James, you know, that if they don't receive the word, we want the Lord to send fire from heaven down and, and you know, smoke them up and things like that. It's all so that people can see. It's all so that people can understand. It's my sins that separate me from God. I have to deal with those sins to get right with God. If I deal with those sins, I will be brought into life and 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 everything else will be broken. And and that's what it's all about. So. Did you want to turn that off? I can share oh. I always forget that. <laughs>